take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 18. We hope you have your Bibles with you and, or nearby so that you can follow along as we go through the Scripture. Acts chapter 18 today, we're in a series called Pivot, uh, Turning Points, Pivotal Moments in the book of Acts. And today, Paul comes to Corinth. That's the pivotal moment. Here's the key concept for today. God can turn it all around. No matter what the it is in your life, God can turn it all around. Yogi Berra, who's famous for so many of his sayings, once said, you can see a lot by observing. And that's the case. Today we're going to observe the Apostle Paul as he comes to the city of Corinth in Acts chapter 18. But more than just observing him physically, I want to think about where he was emotionally and maybe even spiritually as he arrives in this city. Think back over what has happened in this second missionary journey. We're right in the middle of the second missionary journey here and as he comes to Corinth from Athens. But up in Philippi, he was stripped, beaten, and thrown in jail. In Thessalonica, his ministry caused a riot, so he had to flee for his life. In Berea, he actually found uh, open minds and open hearts, those who were receiving the gospel and reading the Word of God to study and those kinds of things. But persecutors, persecutors from Thessalonica came and chased him down in Berea, and he had to flee once again. All by himself now, he goes to Athens. That's the last city he was in, the heart of Greece. And he's so upset by the, all the idolatry that he sees that he actually starts speaking out and speaking up wherever he is. And eventually, he gets invited to present his case before the Areopagus, but his claims for Christ were somewhat dismissed by the intelligentsia of that city. You see, the Greeks were looking for an intellectual debate. They were looking for another philosophical discussion. They were proud of their intellect and their philosophy, and in that pride, they missed the truth. They missed the fact that God's not looking for commentators. He's looking for converts. A few believed, but you get the sense that as the Apostle Paul presses on to Corinth, he might be thinking, you know, this is not going that great. Things are not going so well. I get the impression that his emotional batteries were low. He needed, he needed to be recharged. He felt disappointment and a little bit of a, a sense of, of just emotionally being deflated. And so he walks. He walks 50 miles from Athens to Corinth. And he gives us a little glimpse of his mindset when he writes back to Corinth a few years later. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Sounds to me like Paul's been through the ringer. He's spiritually drained, emotionally empty through his situation in life. You know, we use that expression a lot through the ringer. And uh, as I was writing this, a thought popped into my mind. I wonder if there are those who don't even know where we get that expression from through the ringer. Uh, I have an old photo I want to show you that reminds us where we get that expression. There's a, a lady with a, a ringer. A ringer was a set of rollers, like rolling pins. And, and after you, you would do, in the old days, you'd do the wash and the wash basin there and then put the clothes through the ringer to wring out the excess water so that then you can uh, ha hang up the clothes on the clothesline. Going through the ringer means that I am drained. I am emptied. And feeling just kind of weak within myself. I heard a story about 
the early days of European exploration in Africa. And the Europeans who would go on safari uh, in Africa would hire uh, people that they, they called themselves the coolies. The, the coolies were those who carried the trunks and carried the provisions for those who were going on this safari. And on one particular occasion, there was a safari that happened the first day. They made great time. They went far and fast. And the second day, the Europeans woke up ready to go. They wanted to get on with it, uh, on with the safari. But none of the coolies would budge. They all just kind of sat there. And, and uh, it was kind of frustrating for the Europeans. And they went to the foreman, and the foreman explained it this way. He said, they felt that they had gone too fast yesterday. And now they're waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. And I thought that to be a, a good description of what it means maybe to be spiritually drained. My, my soul has to catch up. I, I need to be able to have strength again. Gordon MacDonald writes about that drained condition this way. He says, individuals in the drained condition are caught up in a sea of feelings, feelings of self-doubt, feelings of negativism. Drained people become self-critical and supercritical of others. They're convinced that they've made a fool of themselves. Now, I wonder if Paul wasn't drained as he walked that 50 miles to Corinth from Athens. And I wonder if you're drained today. It's easy to feel that way. Drained people don't see the good that they're doing in the lives of others. Drained people give up the struggle even when the victory maybe is right around the corner. Drained people don't accept the love that will come their way because they don't feel that they deserve it. Drained people feel like they're doing more, running faster, working harder, but enjoying it less and less. Drained people wonder if it's all worth it. But God can turn it all around. And God turned it all around for the Apostle Paul. In Corinth, God gave him three gifts that I want you to notice with me today. He gave them, him the gift of a team. He gave him the gift of a vision. And he gave him the gift of cover, legal cover. We're going to explore that in a moment. But first, let's, th uh, let's think about the team. Read with me the first six verses of Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul he became, and became abusive, he, took, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. The first thing we see that the Lord did for but the Apostle Paul here is he delivered to him a team. The Lord saw that in the context of Corinth, in this drained condition, it's not going to be good for Paul to be ministering alone like he was doing in Athens. 
Aquila and Priscilla are the first team members, and soon Silas and Timothy will join him, and he'll no longer be alone. And it was vital. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. Paul needed those around him who would give him help, who would come alongside them. He needed a team, and he needed it right away as he arrived in Corinth. And maybe you need a team, too. In fact, I know you do. We all do. Some of us are falling, uh, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually in these days of pandemic. We need somebody to come around and to help us up again. You see, when we're drained and when we're alone, we are vulnerable. In the drained, alone condition, we are vulnerable to two attacks of Satan. The first one is disappointment. And disappointment in itself is a crushing thing. It, it, it kind of it just pushes us down, and we don't feel like we're worth anything or can do anything. But disappointment also serves as a gateway for temptations that Satan will bring our way. The second thing that he does in, in the disappointed stage is he brings sensual temptation. That's one of the main things, one of the main weapons that uh, is the weapon of choice from Satan for those who are disappointed and drained. You see, we fall to that temptation when we're disappointed because we don't feel we're worth fighting for. We're desperate for something that will spice up life, desperate for something that will give us a sense of pleasure, even if it's false and sensual temptation is just that kind of thing. We lack joy, we want joy, and we, we fall for this fake joy, a cheap substitute. And Paul is vulnerable to this. I mean, he's man, he's human, just like we are. And at first, he's alone. He needs a team. And he's alone in a city that has a huge industry built on sensual temptation and sexual immorality. Corinth was sin city of the first century. The slang in Paul's day uh, to act like a Corinthian, in fact, the word was to Corinthianize, meant to be sexually immoral. So Paul needs a protective team to help him stand, to help him be where he needs to be and do what he needs to do. He needs a team that will push him a little bit to, to, to focus on uh, what's next for him. And you too need a team. We all need a team so that we can be where we need to be and do what we need to do. And for Paul, Aquila and Priscilla were the first members of that team. We take it that Aquila and Priscilla, even though they're referred to as Jews here, they are believing Jews. They, they are from a Hebrew background, but they have come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And as such, they have a shared heritage with Paul. But more than that, they also share their profession. They are tent makers, and Paul, too, by secular profession, was a tent maker as well. And so they found each other, and they worked together, and they supported each other. And very soon, in verse 5, the rest of the team arrived. Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. And when they came, they brought two more things that, that blessed Paul. Number one, they brought good news about what God was doing in Macedonia, particularly in Thessalonica. 
Such good news that while Paul is here in Corinth, he writes a letter to the church in Thessalonica in northern Greece, and you have that letter in your Bible called 1 Thessalonians. And in that letter, he says this, chapter 3, verse 6, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Remember that Timothy and Silas stayed behind in the city of Berea, but Berea was just down the road from Thessalonica, and they must have looked in on how the various churches were doing, and when they come, they bring good news. Your work, Paul, in Thessalonica was not in vain. Even though you had to flee for your life, the church did grow, and the church is flourishing, and the church sends greetings to you. But they brought something else as well. From that same region, northern Greece, Macedonia, they also brought a, a missionary offering. I think that missionary offering actually came from the city of Philippi, which is in northern Greece, Macedonia. Years later, Paul writes this Corinthian church, and he, he, he refers to that gift. He says this in 2 Corinthians 11, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. You see, what happened was when Silas and Timothy came to Corinth from Macedonia bringing the Philippians' offering, Paul was able to leave his secular job, that tent-making job, his day job, you might say, and devote himself full-time to spreading the message of Jesus Christ. See, this is what a team does for us. It encourages us. It provides for us. It helps us move forward and keep to our purpose. It enables us. And we all need teammates, and we are to be the team for one another. Let's review Paul's actions as he comes to Corinth, even in a drained condition. First of all, he moves forward in faith, and that's important to see, because sometimes when we feel drained and a little bit disappointed, we, te we are tempted to turn our backs on Jesus and say, well, if things not, aren't going to work out, if this is the way he treats me, I I'm not going to be bothered anymore. That's not Paul. He pressed on in what he knew to be his mission. Secondly, he stays connected to people. That's important. Paul doesn't pull away. He doesn't retreat into himself. In fact, he takes the effort to seek out those people who will be his team. And thirdly, he lets the team help him. He receives that. You see, we're not designed to live the Christian life all by ourselves. Christianity is a group event. It is a group endeavor. It is a congregational endeavor. We have a family of faith. And this is important for us to hear right now. Quail Lakes Baptist Church 2020. It's important for us to remember that even though we're, we're in a long period of time where we're distant from each other, uh, when we're meant to, uh, you know, caused to, to stay away from each other for the most part, we still need to be the team for each other. There's going to be a time when these restrictions are over and we need to be valuing coming together once again and encouraging each other. Even now, there are ways to do that to demonstrate that you're on the team with each other. But the second thing that God gives Paul is he gives him a vision. See, the people in Corinth were a scary bunch. And, and God gave Paul a vision for his encouragement. Corinth was a major hub of, of highways and also a, a hub of a seaport on two different sides of the isthmus of, of Corinth. And as such, it was a, 
a sea town that was filled with sailors and traveling salesmen and rough crowd, kind of people who are running from somewhere to somewhere else. And in fact, Corinth was famous, I mentioned a moment ago, for its immorality as a city. And it wasn't just because it was a, a seaport town. It was because they, they hosted the biggest temple for Aphrodite, the goddess of love and passion in the Greek pantheon of gods. Tradition tells us that that temple, which was located on the mountain up behind the city of Corinth, they had a thousand sacred slaves serving as prostitutes as a part of the worship of in that uh, pagan worship. Even if that number th a thousand is an exaggeration, this was a pretty bad place where the atmosphere was indulgent, and decadent and sinful. And in that setting, you see, Jesus comes to Paul in a vision to encourage him. Look at verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. I think Paul needed to hear those words of encouragement and uh, be encouraged to be courageous because courage was called for. Persecution was a part of Paul's life, and not just in a vague way, in a very literal way, in a physical way, in a painful way. Paul was persecuted, and there were traumatic things that happened to the Apostle Paul, and those aspects of persecution always came after a measure of success. When Paul was beginning to make inroads and making waves for the gospel, that's when the persecution came. You know, Satan's going to leave you alone if you're not doing anything that threatens his, his work, but he doesn't surrender ground easily, and Paul is constantly threatening to uh, pull people out of Satan's grasp. And so there, there are aspects of, of persecution and difficulty that Paul needs courage to face. Let's, I mean, look at what's happening right here in Corinth. Back up a little bit in verse 6, we saw that the Jews became abusive to the apostle, and so he started to speak to the Gentiles. Go on to verse 7, and it describes how that happened. It says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Did you catch that? He was ejected from the synagogue, no longer able to preach there. So where does he go? Next door. And he sets up shop. They start their services, their worship services and teaching next door to the synagogue. Paul was no shrinking violet. Uh, he was right there where the Jews could see him. Uh, read, read on. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. Not only do they set up, set up shop right next to the synagogue, the synagogue ruler, equivalent to our head elder, came to Christ and left the synagogue worship and became a Christian and followed Jesus Christ as his Savior. You can bet that persecution was coming. But Jesus comes and says, fear not. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. And then he says, keep on speaking. Don't hide. Don't stop. Don't be silent. Keep on speaking. I think Paul was kind of like a boxer in between rounds, you know, as, as, you, as you go back to, the, back to your corners and when you know that when the bell rings, pain will follow. And in a sense, Paul is hearing the bell ring every time he has to get up and speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows pain is going to follow, but Jesus says, I want you to speak. Don't be silent. Why? Because Jesus intends to speak through him. 
And the Holy Spirit intends to work through him to make an inroad for the gospel here in Corinth. Paul thinks back to this later when he writes his letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. One pastor writes this. He says, When my strength is depleted, when my rhetoric is unpolished, when I am weary and I can do nothing by myself, my poverty becomes a channel for power. See, weakness is the secret strength of God's people. Weakness is the secret strength of God's effective servants. Why? Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, For when I am weak, I am strong, because we are strengthened by the strength of Jesus Christ. Jesus takes over. It's the secret weapon of the people of God. Weakness. But Jesus shows up. And so Paul needs this vision this vision to be encouraged. So God gave him the gift of a team. God gave him the gift of this vision through Jesus Christ. I am with you. And thirdly, he said in this vision, I have people and I am with you. And Jesus is still saying that to us. I am with you and I have people around you who can help you through the times that you face. Paul needed to know that. He needed to know that God wanted him to do and keep doing what he made for him to do. And he would help him and he would bring people around him. God is in the business of curing what I call cosmic loneliness, that loneliness that says, you know, I'm in this all by myself. Nobody's for me. Nobody is with me. God says, look to Jesus, call out to him, and he will reassure you that he is near you, and he has people that he'll bring near you. He may not do it in a vision. He may do it in an answered prayer. He may do it in a redirected life. He may do it in a phone call from somebody you haven't heard from in a while, whatever it is. But he'll do it through the pages of Scripture. He'll speak to you, and he'll give you that reassurance. A team and a vision, we all need both. But thirdly, God gave Paul something very strategic in a moment just when he needed it, and that is legal cover. Let's read it. Verse 12. It says, while Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. There's the persecution I talked about. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in many ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and, and your own law, settle that matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. When they, and they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatever. All of this is taking place right downtown in central Corinth. And once again, I want to show you some photos because we go to these locations when we take our tours of these biblical sites. So uh, let, let me show you the first slide there. Uh, where I'm standing there in the background, I, I showed you this slide because in the background is the mountain. They call it the Acro Corinth, the mountain on which the, te the temple to Aphrodite stood. And up there was where that... that um, 
immoral worship used to take place. Go to the next slide. This is the marketplace. You can see the various stalls in the marketplace and the lined streets where the people would shop. Paul and, and Aquila and Priscilla would sell their wares there in the beginning of his stay in, in Corinth. Go to the next slide. One section of the marketplace, there is what's called the Bema. If you look at that uh, sign behind me there, that is the Bema. They've uncovered this. The Bema means platform. It is the, it is the, the, the platform on which the judge would sit and sit in judgment. This is exactly the location where Gallio was sitting uh, where, when we see the uh, Scripture today. In the NIV, it says in verse 12 that they brought, brought Paul to court, but in reality, the, the Greek there says they brought him to the bima seat, which means the judgment seat, the seat that would be on top of the bima, the platform for judgment. And the judge would sit up there and, of course, look down on all the people that are presenting their case. And so Paul comes before Gallio. We know from Roman historical records that Gallio went to Corinth in July A.D. 51. So these events take place after that in 51 or maybe early 52. And the man who brings Paul to court is named Sosthenes. He is now named the synagogue ruler. He's the man who took over that head elder in the synagogue, you might say, after Crispus came to Christ. And, uh, and now he is aggressively pursuing Saul, uh, Paul. He takes him to court, and of course the case did not go the way that Sosthenes had hoped. And the reason for that is that Gallio was a typical Roman official. He didn't understand and he didn't care to understand all the nuances about the religion of the people that he ruled. He saw Sosthenes as bringing some sort of internal Jewish dispute and he saw no distinction between Jews and Christians and so he dismissed the case out of hand. And the other Jews who were with him were so embarrassed and so incensed that they got just dismissed from court that they actually beat Sosthenes up right there in front of the, that bema that you saw me standing uh, before on, in the slide. But what this does is this sets a legal precedent. I want to be clear. Actually, reading through the book of Acts, it is this scene that popped in my mind, I should call this series Turning Points, because this is a turning point in the history of the Christian movement. His legal precedent provides cover for Christianity for years to come. For a time, it means because of this decision, Rome will see no legal distinction between the Jews and the Christians. And because it was legal to be a Jew or, and to practice the Jewish religion, so it was also legal to be a Christian for a time. It doesn't last forever, but it lasts long enough for the Word of God to turn the Roman Empire upside down. God knew exactly what He was doing. But there's more here to this story. Fast forward four years. Four years from this date, Paul is now in Ephesus. And he writes back to the Christians in Corinth. And with him in Ephesus is this man. Sosthenes, 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. Same man. Here he has come from being an enemy of Christ to Paul calling him a brother. How did that come about? How did this enemy turn into a teammate? It just shows me God can turn it all around. Now, we're not 
clearly told how that happened. So for us to kind of, you know, put the pieces together, we have to put on our sanctified imagination. But, but I can imagine something like this. I can imagine after Sosthenes' people turn on him and beat him out of their embarrassment and their anger that they didn't get anywhere in the court of Gallio, I imagine Paul maybe later that same day seeking him out and telling him about his own background. They had a lot in common. Paul, too, was a Jew. Maybe he shared his credential as a Pharisee. He, too, was beaten up at the hands of the Jews. He had suffered persecution. But he also told him, I'm sure, about his encounter with Jesus Christ, how he was raised from the dead. He saw him alive. He, I probably told him about his love for Jesus and the salvation that he now knows of forgiveness by grace through faith. And, and, and he explained all of that to Sosthenes, and something happened in Sosthenes' heart and life. His heart is melted through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God turned him around, and Sosthenes becomes no longer an enemy of the gospel, but a brother in Christ. Years later, still traveling with the Apostle Paul, spreading the message. See, here's the point. God is never at a loss. Even when circumstances seem to be against us, even when it looks like it's not working out, even when there is persecution and we're being pushed around, God is working His big picture program. You can trust Him. Whatever the it is in your life, God can turn it all around for you, just like He did for the Apostle Paul. Let's pray together. Lord, we need to hear that assurance sometimes. We need to know that You are wonderfully able and You are aware right now of everything that we're going through. We need to realize that You can change hearts so dramatically that an enemy can become a friend and a partner and a teammate. Lord, we pray that you do it again. We pray that you do it in our lives. We pray that we see your hand of power and blessing changing those things that for us are obstacles and issues right now by your power and by your love. Lord, have your way with us because we know that that's the best way. We love you and we want to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This team is coming back now to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand as we sing together if you're in the courtyard. We want to leave you today with a word of encouragement. Truly, God can turn things around. Sometimes we go through situations and it looks like our backs are against the wall and it looks like it's totally over, but God can make a way in those situations. Just look back on what he's done before and you'll know what he can do again. One last scripture for today, Psalm 77, 11. I remember what the Lord did. I remember the miracles you did long, ad- long ago. He made a way and he still will.
pray together before we go. Heavenly Father, we know that when you make a way, that way is your will. So we pray that you give us courage to follow. Help us to pursue your will as you open it up before us. And as we follow by faith, we pray that you bring the blessing. Dismiss us with your care. Watch over us in your grace. In the week ahead, we pray. For we love you and we want to live for you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for com coming. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.